Hello, and welcome to Center Stage, a podcast for those interested in how the mind of an artist works. We sit down with actors, directors, writers, and artists of all kinds to figure out just what gets their creative juices flowing. I'm your host and producer, Sergio de la Espriella. On today's episode, we're joined by multifaceted artist Kelvi Alter. Kelvi and I met at the University of Florida when I was an orientation leader, or a preview staffer for our UF alums, for her freshman orientation session. We were then able to get to know each other as members of the School of Theater and Dance. Without further ado, let's get into the interview. Joining me now is Kelvi Alter. Kelvi, we were talking beforehand as to how I should introduce you because you've done some acting, you've done some directing, you've done some marketing, you're you're into stand-up and a whole lot of other things. And so I'm just going to introduce you as Kelvi. Thank you for coming on for the show, Kelvi. How are you? That's honestly perfect because my name's so unique. That fits. It is. It is. It is not Kelsey as I thought when you first got to UF. Oh, uh, that's so funny. It, it, I did. I did. thought it was Kelsey. And someone like pulled me aside and was like, no, no, it's Kelsey. <laughs> Thank you before I said something to her. I appreciate it. Yes, Kelvi and I both went to University of Florida. That's how we know each other. And Kelvi was very involved in Florida Players, which is the student theater organization at the University of Florida that you heard Tyler and I talk about in two episodes ago about the different plays that he's written and, and such like that. So Kelvi, thanks for coming on. Uh, I'm going to start off with the same question I ask everyone. What does being an artist mean to you? Oh, to me, I think it really has to do with storytelling and like what kind of story do you want to share with other people? And I still think, you know, it's about being an artist and how you choose to be creative and your point of view. I think that's really important. Like everyone has a different point of view and getting to hear other people's perspectives because everyone's unique, but we also all have like a shared experience too. So like picking up on how you're unique, but also can relate to other people. So you mentioned shared experiences. Why do you feel like shared experiences kind of unite different either actors or even just people who consume the content in general? I think it's interesting because that's something that can go on for like years and generations. Like we could read Romeo and Juliet and that's from hundreds of years ago, but still resonates now. Like there's certain things that like themes that are like kind of timeless, like love will always exist. Death will always exist. And those are like shared experiences that are kind of interesting that everyone has a connection to. I want to start off by talking about how you got into acting, how you got into theater in the first place. What was that like? How old were you? When did you kind of get bit by that theater bug we all get bit by? Yeah, so I guess we have to blame my grandmother because she actually was a Broadway actress back in the day in like the 40s, I guess. And she was in three Broadway shows that no one knows the names of because they're so old and not relevant. But Uh like some of her like (laughs) famous co-stars were Geraldine Page. She was a famous actress. Paul Newman, that's the other big guy that she was friends with. And she's also friends with Ed Asner, who's the voice of um, Carl Fredrickson from Up. Yes, yes, and, very aware. <laughs> yeah, that guy. And he came to visit one time when I was at UF. I was at school, so I missed him. So I was so mad. But she was really the one that like got me into acting. And she had an acting studio in New York. And then she tried to get my mom into acting. And then she wasn't really about it. I loved the attention as a kid. So I was like, yes, I'm down. And I've always wanted to be famous. That was like a goal of mine as a kid. Like I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be on TV so badly. But now hearing about childhood stars, I'm like, okay, maybe I kind of did the right path of not doing that. (laughs) Dodge the Um, bullet. Yeah. And then third grade is like really when I was put into like acting classes and piano classes and singing classes and dance classes. 
And so I think I kind of knew from like, since I was a little kid, like, oh, I want to be a performer. I want to entertain people or be involved in entertainment as much as possible. Right, right. And so you mentioned that you wanted to be famous. Um, when did that shift happen? When did it go from I want to be famous to, oh, I actually enjoy this art as as a piece of art, you know? I remember being a little kid and I think I was, oh, I was obsessed with Britney Spears as a kid. So like anything that I saw her in, I was like, I want to be her. Like, how do I get <laughs> to be Britney Spears? And like seeing her like um, on screen, like as when she was a kid, like performing and stuff, it's like, oh, that'd be so cool to be like a, a child star. And then once I got like involved, I was like, oh, there's so much more than just being famous. You know, it's like part of the art too. And like going to, to theater shows and being in the audience is sometimes just as fun as being on stage too. How much of that knowledge that your grandmother has, how much of that have you kind of pulled and try to get out of her? Because I know that if a lot of people had that kind of accessibility to someone who was on Broadway in the 40s and such, uh, you know, they'd be pulling and trying their hardest to get every bit of information. So did you ever try to get information from your grandmother? And how successful were you? I feel like it's the other way around. She keeps on giving me information. She keeps ah, on okay. giving me critiques. Uh-huh. Like she um, started like a little kind of a, not a studio, but she did like some acting classes here in Jacksonville. And she's still alive. She's like still here around she's 91 and still will give me like acting advice and stuff and um I think she definitely helped work with like my voice too because it's so unique and high pitched as so she would try to help me like with my register and um definitely when I tried to audition actually for different schools and to get to college to do acting and so she helped with like my monologue work and I was like oh I really don't like when like someone I'm related to is telling me what to do. Like it feels weird. I was like, I don't like this. It does. So, yeah. It does feel so weird. I was like, I don't like that. I'd rather have a stranger tell me what to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know if you feel this way, but I personally feel the way where when I'm performing in front of friends or family, I hate it simply because yeah. it's one of those, like they know me, they know who I actually am. And so here right. I am portraying someone who's either the complete opposite or sometimes characters kind of blend in with your personality. I would much rather perform in front of a million people that I don't know than like seven people that yes. I do, <laughs> you know? Right. And then the worst is like when you can tell their laugh in the audience, like, oh, I know that you laughed at yeah. that joke. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it hits home, no pun intended, but like it literally hits home with the people you know. Um, okay. So you get to UF and you do acting stuff. When we brought on when we brought on Tyler to talk about relationships with actors and directors and stuff, uh, you actually directed Who Wants to Love Forever, that piece that Tyler referenced. What was it like directing a brand new piece of work? And how did you approach that piece of work to try to respect what was on the page as much as possible? It's interesting because with most like writer-director relationships, the writer is usually dead. Like the writer's usually either passed away or so out of touch that you can't contact the writer. So it was so cool to have Tyler like in the room with me and I can ask questions I'm like, oh, this is from the source. Like he knows all the answers. And as a director, you know, trying to figure out the answers and same with the actors trying to figure out the answers. And of course, there's some stuff he would, he told me actually like post the show. It's like, why didn't you tell me that before? Because I could have changed something that I saw like directing. Um, so that was interesting. And I think I, I want to start directing once I was stage managing because I could like see how everything worked and getting to see how other directors, their approaches was really interesting to watch. 
because everyone's a little bit different how they approach directing. And so I was like, wait, I want to do it too. Because I was like directing actors on like how to behave and what to do behind the scenes versus like, wait, I want to tell them what to do on stage too. And so that's why I wanted to do um, directing. And then, yeah, so how I approached it, since it was a new work and it had to do with um, a, like Greek mythology, like mm-hmm. Cupid. and right. There's um, definitely aspects of that in that show. Yeah, and so I, I've always been a big fan of like Percy Jackson and that stuff. So definitely like l- looking into that and um, seeing the relationships too, because it was all about like love and relationships and people like not aging so that was an interesting Mm -hmm. concept to work with yeah so when you are directing and you are working with the actors do you approach what you would tell the actors differently than how you would tell something to in this example tyler the playwright meaning is there a different approach when you're working with the actors versus with maybe the writer or maybe your designer, people that are more a bit quote unquote behind the scenes, you know, how does that relationship differ? Because you as a director are the creative focal point of the show, right? It's your vision that you are carrying out. You are taking what Tyler wrote in this case, bringing it to life and creating this sense of unity and clarity for the audience to consume. How do you differ from your notes to actors versus the backstage people like a playwright, like a designer to make sure everyone's on the same page with that one vision? I think that was actually one of the most stressful parts of like, oh, wait, everyone's coming to me for answers. Like that was so stressful. Like, I don't have all the answers. I don't want to have them all. And like people are like, well, what do you want the lights to be like? What's the second to be like? I'm like, oh, I have to think of everything, not just like blocking and those kind of things like, oh, no, it's everything. Um, so I think definitely like with the actors, I think it really helped. I'm really into like games and playing games. And I think that comes from like improv classes I did as a kid. And I think those really help like open people up and, uh, building that trust. Cause I think if you don't have that trust with like director actor relationship, then the, then the actors don't feel like they can talk to you the same way. And they don't feel like they can ask certain questions that maybe they're embarrassed to ask or be like, Oh, I can't ask you're the director. Cause there, there is that weird power imbalance of like directors up here everyone else is below you. But I never saw it that way. I was like, no, we're friends. Like we're collaborating. I'm like a year older than you. <laughs> like we're we're on the same page here. I think that's how I also treated um, like the designers too. And Tyler as well. Like, no, we're all friends. Like this is a friendship thing. We're all going to build this together. Does, does that mentality, have you found that that mentality has helped you out in the quote unquote real world where you're working in the theater, that kind of removal of titles in terms of, you know, hierarchy where everyone's just kind of collaborating. Have you found that that mentality has given you success outside of the educational space? I guess I'm not so sure because it hasn't really like, I haven't had that experience yet because of the pandemic and everything, but even just like the job that I did have for like a little bit, I still felt like, Oh, I'm back at like bottom of the totem pole. Like it was weird to like, kind of like leave college and like your top of the totem pole, like senior year. And then when you leave, you're like back to like starting at the beginning and now having to kind of work your way up to the workforce. Right. right. So we talked about, you mentioned the pandemic. So clearly we are, we're recording this in April of 21. So it's been over a year that we haven't had theater in the way that we're used to, at least you and I growing up, um, going to theater all the time and being in theater programs. What's the pandemic been like for you in terms of trying to hone your craft, whether it's acting or directing or other aspects? What, what have you been able to do throughout this time that has been able to get you your tools to be better? Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, so I think that was like so devastating. Like once the pandemic happened, cause it was like, oh, like are things ever going to go back to normal? So it's like, what am I kind of working towards? Like that kind of freaked me out at first of like, is this ever going to help? Like if I take a stand up class, will we ever actually do stand up in person ever again? Like that was a weird feeling. So I just signed up for a stand up class. I'm very excited for that. But uh, over the summer, I took sketch writing classes and um, I took uh, a, a TV pilot writing class. And then I'm currently in another sketch writing class. And luckily, something so cool about the pandemic actually is that I'm now connecting with people in LA. I'm now connecting with people in Toronto, Canada. I've never had like Canadian friends that I'm close with before. And um, because Second City, they're in Toronto, I've been able to work with them. And Second City is also like a really prestigious improv group. I was like, wow, I've never, I would never think I would be able to have that opportunity. So that's like actually really exciting. And so Second City, for for our listeners that don't know, is a improv comedy troupe that was is based in Chicago, was created in Chicago, and then essentially became the unofficial feeder program for SNL. There were a lot of people that went from Second City over to New York, and uh, Lauren Michaels, the head of SNL and, and over at NBC, hired a lot of those Second City people to be able to run SNL. People like Tina Fey, people like Jason Sudeikis, those kind of people were able to go through there. So what's your experience? What's your experience there with Second City, right? Because you said that you took you took some online type classes, things that were remote. How did it differ from maybe some in-person instruction that you had at UF or at other places versus now that the world is just in such a weird place this past year? Uh, what was that experience like working with such a prestigious improv comedy troupe, but not being able to be in person with them? I thought it was going to be like really uncomfortable in terms of like improv online. Like it sounds like how could you do that? Like it just sounds like that sounds weird. I was that was the most hesitant one. I was thinking about like I'm paying like how much money to take like Zoom improv. Um, so that was I was sort of hesitant. But then um, since it is like a lot of game based, like we're not in a circle. So instead, we're all just tiles on a screen. And you would think that energy wouldn't be the same, but it really was. So I was like really excited. I was like, oh, I'm so happy the energy is the same that we would have if we were in the room together. So I think that does make it really special. But of course, there's times where like um, last class I had internet problems. So like during a scene, it was like about like a murder or something. And then I physically was disappearing because like the internet was crashing. They're like, that was the most perfect like improv thing to ever happen with like online Zoom. Yeah. Well, improv is a great way to, you know, hone people's skills and improv is a tool that could be used in so many different professions, but especially in stuff like stand up comedy and in acting and, and in stuff like that. Is there something specifically that you learned that you'll be able to share with us that can really, that you feel is really going to help you in the long run from that class? Something interesting we talked about is like giving an offer to the table. Like when someone comes into a scene and they're like, oh, we're going to talk about pancakes. H how you just like cannot dismiss them. You can't be like, no, no, we're going to do waffles. Like you can't like it's like, oh, yes, waffles. Of course. Yes. And yes, waffles and pancakes. Like we can do it all. And I think that also comes like with life too. like a lot of people can be dismissive of people in conversations when you talk about people's ideas and things. And now I'm just noticing it even more like when I talk to other people to be like mindful of that, to not dismiss other people right away or because it feels like you're critiquing them or you're saying your idea was wrong. And I, it is interesting with improv, like, oh, no, every idea is a good idea. Like, you can't be wrong. I think I always want to be right in everything I do. But it's like, no, there is no wrong. Like, everything is a good idea. And I think that's something that 
those of us who have studied theater or those who take improv classes in that sense, we, we really put an importance on that. The fact that there are no wrong answers. There are no right answers. There's just answers. And it's a matter of how you take them. Uh, one of my favorite things about sort of improv in its, in its generality is you referenced it. Yes. And right. The rule that no matter what someone says, you have to yes, validate it. And then, and by adding on to it. And that's how you keep up an improv scene. Have you found that that has been beneficial in things outside of improv or acting? Um, maybe like when you say when you were directing, maybe you said you took like a playwriting course. I know you did some marketing work before the pandemic. Have you found that that kind of yes and attitude that's taught within improv uh, circles around the world, has that been able to translate outside of improv and acting for you? Well, I definitely noticed when I uh, did direct my senior year that like all those improv games that I learned and I taught my cast. So just having that bonding too and knowing to like, if you do mess up on stage, we can fix it. Like we've taught each other how to bounce off of each other. If anything happens, like, you know what to do. Like, I trust you. Again, having that, that trust with the cast, like, you know how to save the day, you know what the next line is, you can make it work. And I think like having that kind of improv skills also help too. And actually, again, with directing. So with Tyler and I show the, the week of the whole stage that we thought was going to be was not correct. Like the whole dimensions were off. So all the blocking that we worked on for a month was completely wrong. And we had to fix it within two days. So again, like the improv skills, like, okay, we kind of generally know where to stand and like have to go through the whole um, script and go through our blocking again. But again, like having the improv skills to be like, no, it's okay. Like we can make it work. We know what to do. Right. And and that's one of the cornerstones of art in general, right? There's there's no wrong answers in art. Art is subjective, all of those different uh, monachisms that we say in the in the theater world. Uh, I, I want to go backwards, Kelvi, and I want to ask you about that marketing thing you did before the pandemic, because you were really putting your putting a foot in, in terms of marketing. Uh, you were at New York at the you were in New York at the time, if I remember correctly. Um, so talk a little bit about what you did before the pandemic. And why maybe the pandemic shifted gears for you, you know? Right. So it was um, like March, like the second week of March is when I got my job. I just remember Super Bowl Sunday. I moved to New York, like put my bags down, met up with my friends in the city. It's like, I'm here and I'm here in New York, like finally. And um, like when I did like marketing, it was a lot of um, like posts to the, their website to update their website and a lot of um, just like listening to because I was so new actually the week that I got there everyone was on a business trip so I was like kind of like alone like I didn't really get to get as immersed into the office until like, a couple who, who weeks did you, later who, who did you work for Kelby Broadway across America so they're the ones that do all the Broadway tours they come to different cities they come to you know, Orlando Miami Fort Lauderdale they travel all around America and Canada actually too um, so like if you've ever seen uh, a tour touring show in your city like it's probably from broadway across america so they're really big i think that's also another thing that like when the pandemic happened that they had to shut down because like how do you coordinate all the logistic travels of actors and crew you know mingling around um so yeah i was really in charge of like um also um doing like the copywriting for a lot of uh like facebook posts instagram posts and it's funny because like one of the last things i did before like officially got like you know, furloughed and laid off was like, I made captions for like when theater comes back for each show, like 
when Mo- Book of Mormon comes back, like, hallelujah, we're back, you know, something like that. I'm like, oh, I, I can't wait till they'll eventually use that. But I'm like, oh, we're still waiting for it. Right, right. So I, I just think it's important to to bring up and mention that because there's this perception that when you study theater, the only career you can get is either as an actor or director or stagehand or whatever. But there are so many different careers that are theater based and require you to have a knowledge of the theater, but aren't necessarily working six days a week, eight shows a week, um, equity or being on tour, different kind of things like that. So I wanted, it's very important to me that we kind of amplify those types of opportunities because, you know, the theater, listen, I'll, I'll be the perfect example that eight working six days a week, eight shows a week. I'm not built for that. I love the theater. I really do. I love performing, but I'm not built for that kind of lifestyle, um, mentally and emotionally. It's just not who I am. But, you know, there's so many different opportunities to stay involved in the theater. You know, that's part of one of the reasons why I want to start this podcast, because, you know, I miss so much of that aspect of performance. Uh, do you miss aspects of performance? Uh, are you someone that's kind of like me that that craves that performance nature, but just hasn't been able to do it sans the pandemic, obviously, and, and even before that? How much do you miss, miss being on stage? Because the last few things that you've done have been um, you know, marketing, you've done directing and stuff. That's all stuff that's off the stage. But how much do you miss performing itself? I really do. I think when I got to UF, I, I tried to perform in the beginning and I was auditioning for things. And then I had one of those realizations of like, oh, I'm just like one of hundreds of white girls that all the other white girls are going to get cast and things. Like, why me? And also like, I want a real job when I graduate. I sort of got stressed of like, where am I putting my energy towards? I realized like, oh, if I put my energy towards like stage management, directing, those are like skills I could take with me to other jobs versus like acting. I feel like not that it doesn't get like looked down upon, but I feel like those skills just weren't helping me as much. But then at the same time, I felt like people didn't see me like that I could act because I wasn't involved in as many shows as an actor. So I think um, like another thing I was involved in was like a actors for directors class. And then when people came to see that, they're like, Oh, Kelby, you can act. I'm like, I always could. Like, I just wasn't like, I always could act. I just wasn't acting. Um, so I think that was uh, another thing I want to get back into is like acting and at least doing improv. I'm like, okay, it feels so good to perform again. We keep getting back to comedy and uh, improv and different stuff like that. How invested are you in comedy? Because you say that you, you know, you want to break out and you've taken stand-up comedy classes and stuff. Why is that so important to you and that aspect of performance so important to you? Well, it's interesting, too, with acting, something that I realized, because, of course, like, as a kid, like, I love fame, attention. And I realized, like, oh, I want people to like me for me. And when it comes to acting, people like the character. Like, I heard something interesting um, – Jeanette McCurdy from iCarly she had a podcast too and she talked about how people just love Sam she's like no one loved me as Jeanette McCurdy people love Sam my character it's like and that's something I realized too is like oh I don't want people to love a character I play I want people to like me so I think again with comedy and stand-up like these are all my personal stories like it's really me out there um, and then another thing I've been really involved in is TikTok. I've been trying to become like TikTok famous as well. So I've been trying to do like funny things. And um, I did go viral at one point, but for something totally different because I made a mistake and everyone wanted to correct me on the mistake. So it like boosts the algorithm. 
Um, I'm like, okay, maybe I can actually try to be funny. I think my goal, I'd love to be Jordan Peele, honestly, because he can do comedy and horror. And those are two things I really love. And I think he balances it so well. Um, And my senior thesis for film was a horror movie. And I realized I love getting reactions out of people. Like I love people to laugh and I love people to like scream and like I have a reaction because of something I did. I think that's really cool. That's one of the things that's very interesting, I'll say, about acting, where you play a character that one day you are the sweetheart, you are the protagonist everyone loves, and the next week you can be playing the worst human being possible and everyone hates you. And like you said, only only the greats can kind of shed that stigma away and people say, oh, no, that wasn't him or her. That was their character, you know? So yeah, like you said, it's very difficult. And in stand-up comedy, yeah, that that is very much a piece of you. you. You're inviting people inside and into your artistic self, and you're allowing that to kind of grow. Um, you talked about TikTok, and I was going to get there, and I'm glad that you brought it up. What about TikTok do you like that allows you to kind of express your creativity? Because it's a fairly new thing. TikTok wasn't a thing when we were in undergrad. Uh, it's been very much a past couple of years thing. So how have you been able to capture that kind of magic? and express yourself through that social media platform. I think it's interesting because like, again, like like you said, as a kid, like how could we know that maybe we want to be a TikTok star? Like that wasn't a that thing. That didn't happen. We that wasn't yeah. a thing. No, YouTube was fairly new when we were mm-hmm. children, you know? Yes, yeah, so that's probably like the closest thing to it. I think, and then there was Vine. There was like six second videos. And now oh, like these rest, are like- Rest little, in peace, Vine. <laughs> Vine, listen, Vine, Vine. Vine walks so TikTok could run. I just want to emphasize Basically, that. Basically. <laughs> Basically, and then um, at least with TikTok, you can go up to 60 seconds of a video. And I think it is interesting. I, I notice what hooks me into videos that sometimes they're almost like mini podcasts, or like little stories, little snippets of a story for one minute. Um, and so that's something that I've been really interested in, like, oh, I want people to hear my stories and hear what I have to say, too. Um, and I think with uh, TikTok, it is growing. And what I hope to do, maybe I can use that position myself for jobs in the future to be like, oh, look, I kind of figured out how uh, TikTok and the algorithm works. I can help you with your TikTok and grow a companies as well. So basically taking that marketing background that you have experience in, taking that creative background that you have experience and are actively doing and kind of bringing them together to create your own brand, essentially. I love that. I think that I think that's fantastic. Uh, what do you think about the diff? What are the differences, I should say? between creating on a social media platform like TikTok and creating for something like the stage, right? TikToks, you can create, you know, you can create and they're essentially like films, you know, you can take as much time as you want prepping them. And then boom, once it's out there, it's out there forever. The theater is, it's a one-time experience or however many times it's performed. Which do you prefer and what are the differences? Well, that's such a hard question. I think with, like, like you said too, with theater, it's like, it's that one-time experience, like, once you get that. And also what's interesting about theater is, like, they can mess up. I think I kind of love going to see a show, and I'm like, ooh, I love when someone messes up or someone forgets a line. Because I'm like, that's something that I would never get in a movie. Like, I always think about those little things. Like, I would never get that in a movie or someone smiles at me or, like, looks directly at me. I'm like, ooh, that's something I could never get through, like, a TikTok either. Um, 
And I guess with TikTok too, I do like how, again, like once it's out there, it's out there forever, which is kind of cool. So like anyone can go back and look at a portfolio. Again, like with um, a resume for theater, people can't really go back and look at your theater shows if they want to, unless it's recorded. Um, It's very, it's very difficult to get footage of a theater performance that's not illegal. (laughs) So there's a lot of copyright issues. Right. yeah, and I, I think I do. What's interesting, too, about TikTok is, like, you don't know, again, how the algorithm works is so random. So you don't know who could be seeing it or if it could reach the right audience. With theater, you kind of know who your audience is and who's going to show up. So I think that is interesting of, like, it could just be 50 people and 50 seats. But TikTok could be it can go viral and it can be up to like a million people might see it. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Um, Kelvi, thank you so much. Uh, for coming on. I do want to end with one question. What is the most impactful piece of art that you've consumed? Now, it could be theater, it could be movies, it could be a book, it could be a song, it could be whatever you want, whatever medium you want. What's the most impactful piece of art that you've ever consumed? I screamed the last time when I when I heard you ask this question, I like screamed out my answer, like, I know my answer. <laughs> and it's um, Fairview. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a play by Jackie Sibley's Jury. Oh my God, it was, it was crazy. Um, it was an interesting look at race because um, the beginning, it's like a three act show. The first act is a black family, almost like in a sitcom and they're very like happy and excited. And then the next act is a, a group of white friends being like, oh, if you could be any race, what race would you be and why? And then they like are playing this game and then they all decide that they all want to be black people. So in the third act, they come in to be these other family members of this black family. So it's this interesting take of they're they're not in blackface, but they're presenting themselves as black. And they the are scene white that, actors that are presenting themselves as black in this third. Yes. Act. Okay. Yes. And okay. Um, the only person who's aware is the, the daughter. She's like, "This is not right. Like, you're not my grandma. Like, you were a white lady. You're not my grandma." So she's the one that like kind of breaks down the show and breaks the fourth wall and then at the very end she literally breaks the fourth wall and is talking to the audience and she's like this is how I feel I don't like people coming into my home how do you feel if people are staring at you all the time so she invited every white audience member to come on the stage wow so I was like is this real I was like looking around I was like am I allowed to go on stage right now so every where did you white- where did you see this this was in Brooklyn Okay. It won the Pulitzer for best play. It won a Pulitzer. Okay. Won a Pulitzer and for best play was in Brooklyn. Right. Okay. Right. So once I heard about the show, like I was interning in New York, it's like, okay, I have to go. So I was so shocked because like everyone, no one told me anything about the show on purpose to like be like, oh, you'll have an experience. So then I get up on stage and um, the, the comedian David Cross, you know him? Okay. Yes. He's I, also I on the stage with me. And we're both looking down at David Diggs, who's watching us on stage. <laughs> like, this is so weird because never in my life will I be on stage with all these other p- people watching David Diggs and the audience watch me on stage. It's a very it's weird experience. Wow. And David Diggs, for those unaware, David Diggs is an actor, rapper, part member of Clips, uh, and is also um, was the original jefferson and marie lafayette in hamilton and he was also on i want to say what tv show was he on was it was it he's on blackish he plays like is the it, was it black sometimes. he plays a brother in blackish and then he was in something else that i 
is this guy? Oh, he was in Kimmy Schmidt. He was in Kimmy Schmidt. That's what was right, right, what was right. on my mind on like the last season. So yeah, very famous actor, fa- fantastic uh, human being. But that is incredible, Kelby, about that experience. What was it called again? Fairview. Fairview. Fairview won a Pulitzer. Uh, wow, that's that 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 really does bring into into question because. As you were telling it, I was like, "Oh boy, I'm a little uncomfortable." Oh boy, these <laughs> yeah. these white and people you, are going to come into this. <laughs> yeah, but but that's part of what art makes you do. You know, I've had the conversations in episodes earlier. Uh, I know Zach mentioned this. I know Tyler mentioned this, where they say that you know there is a social responsibility, a moral responsibility as as artists to put things like that out there. There by no means was that play intended to glorify you know, white people taking on these black roles, you know what I mean? No, it's, it's supposed to be shocking to the audience member so that they can understand Mm -hmm. exactly what it is that in this case, black people go through on an everyday basis, you know? So, wow, that was, that was wonderful. That was really great to hear, Kobe. It was crazy. And then afterwards, the director and the author who wrote it or playwright and the choreographer came out and spoke and, um, my like senior year, I was a dramaturg for her other show that she also wrote. So it was so cool. They got to actually see the playwright. And then I got to work on as a dramaturg for another right. show that she wrote my senior year. Yeah. And for those, for those unaware, a dramaturg is someone who they're essentially the fact checker for a play. So they make sure that if it takes place in the 1960s, the entire set is set in the sixties, that there's nothing out of place. You know, you wouldn't have a cell phone in 1974 so why would you have a cell phone as a prop? Those kind of situations. And they give the actors and the director and everyone involved basically a historical context to whatever it is that they're doing. And if it's a future thing, they, they essentially create that, those norms and, and all that. A dramaturg, very severely underrated aspect of the theater. Another career that is fantastic that people can look into if they don't want to Another it. thing I've done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, another <laughs> thing. I'm just going to call you a multifaceted artist, yeah. Kelby. That's just what I'm going to call you. And that's what I'll probably put in the show notes. Uh, Kelvy, thank you so much for coming on. Where can the people find you? Whatever you want to plug and promote, go ahead and I'll put it all in the show notes as well. I guess I'll promote my TikTok that you can find me on <laughs> is at Kelvy Mac, K-E-L-V-Y-M-A-C. There you go. Kelvy Mac on TikTok. Uh, Kelvy, I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much for coming on Yay, Center Stage. Uh, we will talk soon, okay? Yay, thank you for having me. Thank you, Kelvy. Special thanks to Kelvy for coming on and talking about her many unique artistic experiences. To see more from Kelvy, make sure to follow her on TikTok at Kelvy Mac. That's K E L V Y M A C, all lowercase, all one word. That link will be in the show notes below. It's going to do it for this episode of Center Stage. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Center Stage Pod and on Instagram at Center Stage underscore Pod. Those links will also be in the show notes below. Keep an eye out for future episodes for more conversations with artists about their craft, what art means to them, and just what makes them tick. I'll leave you with the words of William Shakespeare. To thine own self, be true. We'll see you next time.